Welcome to another episode of the Variety Podcast, Strictly Business, where we talk to some of the brightest minds working in the media business today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein, co-editor-in-chief of Variety. There's no shortage of digital content companies these days trying to carve out audiences for themselves, but few have innovated the sector's business models as much as Kin Community and its co-founder and CEO, Michael Wayne, my next guest. The talent he works with, for one thing, isn't just the usual digital native stars, and the revenue isn't just cuts of advertising and subscription dollars. Michael, thanks for coming in. Let's let's walk through some of the different things that you're doing. And But first, just explain what Kin is, the brand, the demographic. You got it. Thanks for having me, Andy. Pleasure to be here. Kin is a lifestyle entertainment company, simply put. So what does that mean exactly? Well, we do a number of things. Uh, we have a studio that produces content. We have, uh, like you mentioned, a network of uh, digitally native influencers. Uh, we have owned and operated channels uh, that exist across YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Amazon Prime, Twitter, pretty much every social platform. Uh, the newest part of our business, which we launched about a year ago, is working with more traditional TV talent, like a Tia Mori, um, who... Who do we know Tia from? Yeah, Tia Mori is, is a good example of the type of talent we're working with. She had a show in the late 90s called Sister, Sister. It was a big with, deal. Yeah, it was a big show. It was on ABC, she and her twin sister, Tamara. Uh, and then since then, she has had uh, a really broad career in entertainment. She was on a show on E! with her sister. She had multiple shows on the Food Network. She's had a cookbook. She's done a lot of different things, but but a lot of which is in the women's lifestyle space. Uh, and uh, she was pitched to us a couple of years ago by UTA. And at that point in our company's history, we hadn't really worked with traditional TV talent. We were focused early on on working with bloggers and then YouTubers and Instagrammers. But there was something interesting about her. One, the fact is she was a more or less a household name. She'd been in the public consciousness for 20 years. She had 12 million social followers. Um, and she was very passionate about women's lifestyle. So we kind of scratched our heads and said, you know, maybe we've gotten to the point in time where the distance between a digitally native social influencer and a TV personality who has large social following but also connects directly with an audience uh, isn't very far apart. Maybe maybe these kind of ships are starting to pass in the night. So we said, what if we started a new owned and operated channel uh, where she was the focus of it? And we created a brand called Tia Mari's Quick Fix. And we launched it simultaneously on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Amazon Prime. And uh, that was almost a year ago, and it's been extremely successful. So, so now, she's the model for what you're doing She is. Right now. We, we still have a studio business that produces... Channels like Tia Mori's Quick Fix, as well as working with brands to do brand content. We still have a great network of digitally native influencers, but we are now building the Kin Network, which we've called recently a neighborhood, which we can talk about why we're calling it a neighborhood, but mm -hmm. um, of really like-minded talent. So we have since launched now five channels in this model, the Tia Mori Quick Fix model. And uh, we plan on launching, we'll have seven by the end of the year, and hopefully next year, by the end of 2019, about 20 of these uh, channels driven uh, by traditional TV talent. 
So what was wrong with the model that was more based on the traditional influencer? You guys were pretty active on that front for quite a while. We are. That, that space has changed pretty dramatically since we got involved in it. Um, Describe that change. Yeah, I think, I think it, it goes back even before the YouTubers. So when we started our company... Which we, in, was in what year? Which was in <laughs> 2007 which is like the 19th century for Seriously. digital media. Yeah. Um, but uh, we started the company in 2007, and we always had the idea of building brands, IP, video brands, if you will. Uh, back then, uh, talent, we, we had this belief that we wanted to work with digitally native talent, but in 2007, that meant bloggers. Hmm. This is really, really at the very beginning of YouTube in general, so the whole... social influencer thing hadn't really started from a video standpoint, but bloggers uh, were were kind of the the social influencer of of that time. So we were doing video series working with bloggers, and and we learned a lot back then. One, that blogging is very different than video. Two, at the time, there weren't uh, a lot of video platforms. In fact, at that time, YouTube was just doing user-generated content, so we didn't even really think of it as as, as a video platform like we do today. Um, we created websites f- so that people could come watch these video series in 2007, 2008. And that's really hard to get people to a website to watch video, let alone just get them to a website, period. Hmm. Brands weren't quite ready to do all of that. But, but what we did learn back then was that when you have open platforms, that you can very quickly commoditize talent. So we were working with the best bloggers at the time, the best mom bloggers, the best food bloggers. But we were, what we were seeing is that large blog networks were forming, and pretty much anyone who would throw up a blog was part of a blog network. And that created a lot of problems because all of a sudden the ad dollars had to be spread around not hundreds of bloggers, but thousands, tens of thousands, millions of bloggers. It was hard to navigate. What are the good bloggers? What are the bad bloggers? It just got very crowded very quickly and very commoditized. And we were like, ooh, we don't don't want to do that. That's not interesting for us. So when YouTube started really getting behind their their, uh, stars, their creators, we kind of realized, uh, and and actually Maker Studio and folks like that started aggregating tens of thousands of channels, We, we got... We, we had some pause there because we had seen what it looked like in the blog space. Yeah. And so we said, hey, if we're going to curate a network, let's make sure it's the biggest and the best uh, t- channels in our categories, which were food and home and DIY and style and beauty and things like that. So we only focused on about 100 YouTubers uh, at the time. And for a few years, we were the place where brands would come to work with those influencers. But uh, as you know, in fact, I wrote an op-ed piece or an opinion piece for Variety many years That's ago right. about the problems with, with the space. It got also very crowded very quickly. Lots of um, other, you know, it, the, the market was flooded with YouTubers, agents, managers, MCNs, social influencer networks. I could go on and on. All started to figure out that there was a growing business here and they wanted to get in the middle of it. So we... We realized probably a few years ago that this was going to get pretty crowded pretty quickly and realized that um, also at the end of the day, we we don't own our influencers' channels. They own it. Mm -hmm. So we're in a sense uh, 
it almost like a manager or an agent to them. And that's really never why we got in the business in the first place. We wanted to be a content business that owns IP and that builds video brands. And so it, it's still a part of our business, but uh, it's not uh, the growing and most valuable part of our business, I would say. It is, it is, uh, it is one of many parts of our business. So you're working with a higher level of talent. What kind of deals can you offer them? Because I would assume they've got options. It's a, it's a great question. So I think the interesting part of our model right now is that while digital influencers were building their brands, uh, everyone started building their social as well. That's you, me, Variety, uh, a, a TV talent. And over the last five years, you've seen a lot of TV talent build social followings as big as a YouTuber and Instagram who started as digital and native, right? But there's a little bit difference to someone who's built the last 20 years or 10 years of their career being a TV star. One, they probably aren't likely to want to pick up their iPhone and start shooting videos every week and putting it on YouTube. <laughs> That's probably not likely uh, what they're going to want to do. Um, they might not want to hire a whole production team also to come out every week and spend the money on doing a show. Um, they want it probably to look really good. They've been on TV their whole career. They've gotten to a level of success. They probably want content that's uh, going to look as good, if not better, than what they've been doing on TV. They also probably don't want to build a whole data and strategy team and become experts on how these platforms work day in and day out. So as we've talked to... Uh, some of the more traditional talent, what we find is they're, they've been successful on television. They've built large social followings. But then taking the next step into video isn't so easy. They're not just going to start from scratch like a, a YouTuber might have um, who made YouTube kind of their primary career, if you will. So we come in and we say, listen, we want to work with you creatively, but we have all the infrastructure. We have all the camera equipment. We have all the producers. We have all the editing facilities. We have a strategy and data team that's really, really smart about how uh, you should think about your, you know, a content brand with us. Um, but ultimately, we're not there to create the only digital video opportunity for these stars. We believe we want to create a show with them, a series with them. Not unlike they might go to a TV or a cable a TV company, a cable company and create a show on cable. So we really focus on just what swim lane we think would be fun and profitable to build out with them. So with Tia, it was quick fix. It was DIY. It was how can she help young women who may or may not have young children, get through the day with easy, quick tips and hacks. We have a show with Adrian Ballion called All Things, Adri All Things Adrian, which is really focused on style and beauty. Um, you know, we just launched a show with Jordan Sparks. Jordan Sparks won American, American Idol, Idol 10 sure. years ago. She has a passion for baking, so we have a show called Heart of the Batter with uh, Jordan Spanks and uh, Jordan Sparks. So... So that's, that is a swim lane. Will Jordan do other things? Absolutely. I think last night she had a, a show on Lifetime that launched um, or, or a one-hour series, a one-hour documentary on, on Lifetime. Uh, she has her albums that she's going to – she'll have plenty of other things to do. But in this one swim lane, we want to be a partner and we really want to build an asset that's valuable 
uh, that can you know thrive over the hopefully years and years to come. And so how do doing deals with these type of people, how do you make that economical? Because I would imagine cost control is the name of the game here. It is, and that's, that's what's exciting. You know, and you know this, uh, I've been involved in digital and in particular digital video really from the beginning in launch in the media. Late, launch media in the late 90s. Wow. And so I was there when the first bits of video started streaming over the internet. And I've always been fascinated with how it's evolved over the last 20 plus years. And I, I'm, I'm very excited about it now more than I ever have because of a number of reasons. One is I think there are more video plat- scaled video platforms now than there ever have been. So you have, you've had YouTube really was the only game in town for a long time. Now Facebook, then Instagram. Obviously Amazon Prime is there and some of the other platforms. But there, there are multiple places now when you create a piece of content you can monetize it. And I don't just mean like doing brand integrations, but just just running pre-rolls and mid-rolls now. You can do that across multiple platforms. Our company has always been focused on high-quality, premium, premium content. And the platforms now are focused more and more on building clean, well-lit neighborhoods. It's one of the reasons we've called what we're building a neighborhood. And so what we're seeing is as we put our videos across all these platforms, they're getting higher and higher CPMs. Again, this is just low-touch programmatic. And so what we're finding is is that we can actually cover most of our production costs, in some cases all of our production costs, with just distributing our content across those platforms. Now, we're still doing brand integrations and we're doing e-commerce and we're going to do licensing of our, of our content. All of that's going to come into play but I think for the first time, you're now able to, on a unit economic basis, we have a show with a, a particular production cost and a particular you know, set of economics. We can pay that off now uh, across platforms with low touch as opposed to hiring dozens of salespeople to hopefully sell branded integrations to pay off this content. Well, that's really saying something where we are because uh, a year or so ago, the notion that there was more than one game in town, YouTube, would really be a stretch. So uh, sort of review the rest of the pack there. How do you like the evolution of, let's call it the monetization opportunities on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, all that? So our audience, uh, and I didn't bring this up before, but is really women and they're they tend to be women from about 25 to 44. That's the core. And, and we, even within women 25 to 44, it's really 25 to 34 is the core core of our audience. We call them builders. That's our, our name for them because they're entering in their mid-20s a different stage of life where they're focusing on their home, their physical home. Uh, they're focusing on their career. It's no longer just a job. They're actually thinking about their career. They're focusing on their family, which could be a significant other. It could be, uh, you know, a, a husband or a wife at that point. It could be young children. So they're building really their lives. And that, uh, if you think about our content historically, even going back to 2007 and 2008, we've always focused on that demo. And, um, and our content is both entertaining but also helpful and informational and in some ways educational to those women going through those, uh, those ages and stages. It's not surprising platforms like Facebook and Instagram lend themselves very, very well to our demographic. In fact, I think 10 years ago um, or even five years ago on Facebook, uh, when 
Well, actually, let's see. When was it? In 2011, YouTube, as part of their first original funding uh, program, uh, when they funded their, their first channels, they actually partnered with us to start Kin as a brand. And they wanted to create a women's lifestyle brand on YouTube. But even in 2011, it was a little early. Like YouTube as a platform still skews fairly fairly young. I would say there's a much higher concentration on Facebook and Instagram of our audience than there is on YouTube, or at least primarily on YouTube, right? I think there, you know, there are 2 billion people on YouTube, so they cover everyone, but, but really the heart of their audience tends to be pretty young, under 18. So when we launched Kin in 2011, it was slow growing as a, as a channel. Um, and it wasn't really till Facebook a couple of years ago where we started to really focus on Facebook that we started to see our audience scale. To answer your question specifically, though, YouTube's been in the game of selling mid-rolls and pre-rolls and working with content creators with brand integration for years. Facebook, um, it's fairly new. It's really Facebook Watch is a year old. Uh, you know, selling pre-rolls and mid, selling mid-rolls is probably about that long. I, I, I you know, I don't want to speak for Facebook. I don't know exactly how long, but it's fairly recently. Selling pre-rolls even more recently. So we're very bullish on Facebook and we're excited. Instagram now has launched Instagram TV and hopefully we'll monetize. But um, I think what we're seeing is growth uh, on Facebook and Instagram, a faster growth and even from a monetization, faster growth. But uh, but. YouTube is a mature platform, and the way you monetize it is mature. So uh, my instinct is is that Facebook and Instagram will probably outpace uh, YouTube as a monetization platform for us over the coming months and years. What about Amazon? Because you you distribute there, and my God, I, I, there's just so much buzz about even what they're doing from an ad perspective now. That's right. I mean, we're – it's funny. We've been – for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about their new platform that's going to be ad-supported and making sure that we're front and center on it. We, we've worked with Amazon for years in, in multiple capacities. We've, we've produced programming with them um, and different types of programming with them. We were part of a program and still are part of a program where they've selected um, a handful of digital companies that they thought had really high-quality digital content to be part of Prime. So you can actually find... Uh, our content on Amazon Prime behind a paywall. So if you're a Prime subscriber, you can get it. And we're able to post our content onto Prime on a regular basis. Now, that's not ad-supported. So that I just want to be clear. That's different than the, their new product, or at least what we've read in the papers, their new ad-supported product that's coming out. That when we post our content to Prime, we get paid like any content provider to Prime. We get a piece of the subscription revenue. Obviously, most people go to Prime to watch movies and TV. So I would say the digital partners of Prime are probably a little lower down the, the, the totem pole, but we still, we still uh, partner with them on that. And, and uh, we think Amazon's a great platform for us for a lot of reasons. We also have a relationship with them where a lot of our content has have stores. So today you can go to, uh, to some of our new channels and on videos, click through to buy some of the merchandise all things Adrian, I mentioned with Adrian Bellion. It's a style and beauty channel, and uh, you can click through and buy the makeup that might be in her video, or buy the swimsuit she might be showing off this this past summer. 
Uh, and so that's a really cool part of our relationship with Amazon as well. So it's it's both the e-commerce side and the content side that we well, work with. Well, it's interesting to hear you even talk about that as a viable revenue stream. It's typically companies like yours. It's all about advertising, maybe something in subscription. So how meaningful is this? I think they're all meaningful. I think getting back to my original point about where we are in kind of the video landscape, I think there's been for the last few years this – um, this feeling like you need to have a very large ad sales team to sell big branded sponsorships or big brand, brand content to get these video series made. Um, I mean, they're, you know, the running joke at the New Fronts was you, you get presented with a lot of content, but like you'd never know what was going to get made or what wasn't going to get made because brands had to come in and subsidize that. And I think now what is really exciting is there is this sustainable repeatable and profitable model where low-touch revenue can support high-quality video. And so we talked about programmatic being one form of that. I think e-commerce is is the other low-touch way of doing that, and we're doing that with Amazon across our channels. Uh, it's meaningful. It's not as meaningful, I'll be honest. It's not as meaningful yet as advertising, whether that's um, – pre-roll, mid-roll, branded integration, but it's becoming more meaningful. I think where it gets really exciting for us is not just where we're linking to an Amazon or linking to another e-commerce platform, but where we're creating our own products around our channels. So I think that, to me, is is where um, we get into licensing our brands, creating bespoke products around uh, some of the brands we're building with our talent. I think that that we haven't gotten there yet, so there's no 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 imminent announcement there. But I think that's going into 2019 going to be a real focus for us. What else in 2019 as you look ahead is sort of top of mind for you and the business? Yeah, well, I think for us, we're really excited about um, how our audience is engaging with our content and just consuming our content. So. We've partnered with Nielsen um, to rate our content. I think you and I have talked about this before. Uh, and we have found that on a regular basis, our shows, whether it's TMRI Quick Fix or other shows, are getting cable size audiences on a weekly basis. In fact, TMRI's Quick Fix has multiple times been quite literally the number one cable show, even though it's not on cable, it's across digital platforms in women 18 to 34 or in total viewership. So what we're excited about is now that we have five of these channels going to seven by the end of the year and going to 20 by the end of next year, we truly believe we're going to be able to compete uh, on a cable network basis. We, we really think of ourselves as a next-generation cable network. We're building a next-generation cable network brand with Kin, and we will have audiences in the U.S. and without a question internationally bigger than cable audiences today on television. So to me, that's that's really the exciting thing going into next year, the promise of building the brand of Kin. Now, but when you are comparing to cable audiences, you are making a truly apple-to-apple comparison because a lot of people have died on these shores. They have. They try have. to make these they comparisons. Have. So, so and, I, and I'm, you know, I, I look forward to refining this. So Nielsen cannot today. They they have something called DCR, digital content ratings, and they have TV ratings. And what we have done is tried as close as we can to compare the two. Some people have just said, oh, 
the digital content ratings and the TV ratings, you can compare apples to apples. We, we've actually tried to go much deeper than that. We've said, if we're going to get close to apples to apples, then let's do not just live. Let's do live plus seven. And not only live plus seven, but let's aggregate all the airings of the shows during that week. So, you know, you might go to a, a cable network and they might have a show that they air 20 times in a week. Mm-hmm. So we're saying, okay, if you do live plus seven plus an aggregation of all the airings during that week of a show and then compare it to our show, it's still not exactly apples to apples, but it's about as close to apples as apples as you're going to get. And so we can say in a week, TMR's Quick Fix had 8.8 million total U.S. viewers watch her show in a week and then compare it to what I just described, live plus seven plus an aggregation of all the viewership of all of the airings of that show on that network, we feel very confident that that's pretty that's that's close, and and that not only is it close, but our viewership is so much bigger than most of these shows that it's it's I think very compelling to audiences, very compelling to brands, very compelling to partners that we're working with. So you guys have been out there uh, going back to your days when you were known as Deca for over a decade. And you've been an independent all the while, picking up rounds of funding here and there. The name of the game, though, in this sector, more and more people are talking about, though, is consolidation, that everything is going to have to come together to get scale. So where's your attitude there? Are you looking for the exits, or where is your head at right now? Uh, Well, I think my head is the same place it was 11 years ago, which is... I am focused, and I, and even before 11 years ago, because we've talked about it, I've been in the space for over 20 years, I've always been interested in how do you create value in the space and something sustainable. So, you know, some, some entrepreneurs maybe look for opportunities, exploit it, and then let someone else worry about the value. I've always looked at what we are doing as a continuum. It's an evolution. People sometimes go, oh, you've pivoted from this to that. To me, I've always looked at everything we've done as just an evolution of the space. Now... Clearly, we live in a time where Fang, you know, Facebook, at Apple, Netflix, Google, or Facebook, is it, what, what is, is it, it's Facebook, is, but there's Amazon's got to be in there too. I think it's well, Facebook. Some, some people do, double, it's a, a. double A. There right. you go. So Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Uh, it clearly rule the world. I mean, they're, they're uh, global platforms, they're technology companies fundamentally, um, and They've truly disrupted everything, right? We're a small company, but we're very, very attuned to how these platforms work. And we have expertise and really super bright people internally who understand the ins and outs uh, of how these platforms work. And so for us, we think that's super valuable. Being able to create a repeatable, uh, scalable, profitable model around high-quality content with really really talented people we think is very, very valuable. So I guess, long story short, my feeling is that we continue to create value in the space, especially in a space where platforms need higher quality content. They need uh, brand safe content. They need content partners who understand their platforms. Brands are looking for this in the marketplace. We're going to continue to grow. If we were to find partners or a partner who really believes in the long-term vision of Kin as a brand and as a value proposition in the marketplace, I think we would always be open to entertaining how do we partner to get there quicker? How do we partner to get there more 
uh, efficiently or effectively or more powerfully. Um, and along the way, we have partnered. We haven't been acquired. We haven't really talked to anyone about being acquired, but we have partnered with people who have invested in our company or who have been strategic partners who have helped us accelerate our business. So I guess at the end of the day, I don't really look at it as, oh, we're looking to go get acquired. I think we're out in the marketplace creating value. We're building a great brand. We have a great mission as a company. We have an awesome team who are building this brand. Does someone want to help us with that? Great. Like we're, we're open to, we're open to talking to them and seeing if there's a fit. We will see what 2019 brings. We'll see. Thanks for coming in, Mike. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.